like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtledoves. I'd like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. Most of us remember that very joyful song. Some of us may have even seen the contestant on American Idol with a serious stutter that disappeared when he sang. Both are testimonials to the power of song and singing. In fact, over 40 million Americans participate in some kind of group singing. But why? What's the appeal? And what's the impact? We're going to spend some time looking at that with my guest, Stacy Horn. Stacy is the author of four previous nonfiction books, her commentaries can be heard on NPR's All Things Considered, and her newest work is Imperfect Harmony, Finding Happiness Singing with Others. Stacy Horn, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks uh, for joining us today. What is it about song that people find so appealing in terms of their own participation, this number of 40 million plus million people that participate in group singing? Why? Well, all those people wouldn't be doing it, but it didn't feel great, and it just feels wonderful, both emotionally, the music is wonderful, and it connects you to your fellow singers, but also it's a very physical experience, which I uh, researched to write this book. You know, you don't just feel good psychologically, but physically, you know, you can walk into a choir rehearsal feeling tired or, or sad about something, and you will walk out feeling more alive and more hopeful about life than when you walked in. Is that psychological because of the music itself, or is there something physiological going on? Both. Uh, The music is wonderful. I mean, you sing words like, ye shall have a song and gladness of heart. I mean, it's such a beautiful, perfect sentence. I mean, it makes you feel better, but... Even when you're singing sad music, like requiems, which are masses for the dead, even those make you feel uplifted and better. But there are, um, science has found some explanations for why we feel good. Um, it's like the brain wants you to sing. And whenever you sing, it just releases all these neurochemicals that make you feel better. Um, I have like a list of them. There's so, just so many. But uh, it releases oxytocin which manages anxiety and stress and enhances feelings of trust and bonding. So it strengthens those connections that you're already starting to feel. It releases endorphins, which gives that rush or that singer's high. And endorphins are associated with feelings of pleasure. They also alleviate uh, pain. It releases dopamine, another chemical, neurochemical associated with feelings of pleasure. Um, singers uh, are found to have lower levels of cortisol, which indicates lower stress. 
um, and serotonin, which is a stimulant. It activates all the areas of the brain having to do with pleasure and emotion and memory. It's it's just kind of endless. How different is the experience of listening to that music as opposed to actually participating in it? Well, when I started my research, was about which was about three years ago, um, most of the studies were focused on listening rather than singing, though that's rapidly changing. Um, but another stu- a, a recent study was looking at um, pain, the threshold of pain and singing and and endorphin release, and they compared it to people who were listening to music, and they wrote, we conclude that it's the active performance and music that generates the endorphin high, what I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. and not the music itself. So I I can't, you know, I suspect that science will find that listening feels good, actual participation feels better. Talk a little bit about whether or not this is something that happens only to adults. Does it happen to children? How young does this happen? I focused on adults in the book, but that said, I I came across um, many studies having to do with children. Um, Chorus America, uh, which is a choral organization, did an impact study in 2009, and they found... um, like with adults, mu- music makes adults better citizens. They found that they volunteer more, they give to ca- charity more, and they found that the same was true with children. Music helps children with behavior issues, it helps children with autism, but it helps all children who sing to socialize. It, when you sing with the choir, it becomes like a family, and, and this is good for children to learn you know, ha- how to be with other people, and it also helps them with self-esteem issues. But there's been a lot of uh, other studies that get much more specific. They found that students get better grades, help with memory, which is very true with adults, with homework habits. One study found middle schoolers who sang did better in math. And another very recent study that was interesting, they they took a group of preschool children um, and they divided into two groups. And one received um, visual art training and the other group get, got music training. And they found after only 20 days of this um, training, the children in the, in the music group um, exhibited enhanced performance on uh, measures of verbal intelligence, with 90% of the group showing improvement in this area. And this wasn't true with the, chi- with the children with art training, visual art training. Does it matter what the music is, whether it's a church choir or singing pop music? The studies that I read were all over the place, um, st- looking at gospel music, rock music, sacred music, you know, barbershop quartet music. It, it doesn't seem to matter, um, but I shouldn't say that. I mean, they find these results regardless of the music, but so- someone has yet to do the study to see what the difference is between the different styles of music. And what do we think the connection is? What is it about this group singing experience that has this transformative physiological power? I think any kind of group singing would feel good, but to me, I believe the answer is going to be found in harmony. When you sing with other people, it's great, but the difference between singing in unison to breaking out into harmony is just like all the difference in the world. It just creates this incredible, 
incredible, beautiful sound. And you ask any singer, and it's like you're vibrating up there with that feeling of harmony. It's a beautiful sound that you both see and feel, and it's just incredible. And it connects you to the people around you because you the sound would not happen any other way, and this feeling would not occur in any other situation. And so you don't want it to stop, and it wouldn't happen if it weren't for the people around you. So it connects you to them in a very profound way. Is there a similar effect at all when one, for example, sings along to the radio? I think so. You know, I I think a good answer to that would be the very bizarre Virtual choir. Do you know about the virtual choir? No. There's uh, this composer, Eric Whitaker, started what he calls the virtual choir, and it began because a fan of his, this young girl, Britlin Lucy, Lucy? now I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she sent him a, a video of, her, of herself singing a part to one of his um, compositions. And he saw her singing, and he just was blown away. And he got this idea, uh, what if I get a bunch of people to upload videos of themselves singing, you know, all the various parts to my music, and we put it all together and somehow make this virtual choir. So he invited people to do it. People, you know, complied. And now he, he regularly organizes these virtual choirs. In fact... The the fourth one, Virtual Choir 4, is debuting this week, I think on the 11th, and I participated in, in it. Anyway, so when I heard about it, I thought, oh, that sounds so much fun. And so I did it, and then when I, when I actually did that, I realized, oh, my God, this is not fun at all, because the great thing about choir is you're singing with other people. Your voice is one of many, and if you're not a great singer, like myself, I am not a great singer, it's it's nice that there's a certain amount of anonymity to it. You know, your voice is blending with everyone else's, and you're not heard. You're not a soloist, and that's what I want. But when you're singing, when you're submitting your video for the virtual choir, you're singing absolutely alone. So your voice and your face is isolated, and you don't get any of the pleasure of singing with other people. And yet, when the video comes out and your voice is in there, you're not there, you're not singing, and you're feeling absolutely wonderful. It's like your voice is part of this great thing, and you're you're feeling great. I cannot explain it, but it works. What do we understand about what's different in the brain with respect to singing? We know that people, for example, that stutter can, can sing. People that are stroke victims that have trouble speaking sometimes can sing. What do we understand about that? Well, they're at the very beginning of explaining why that is and and there are theories um about mirror neurons and the fact that it's enhancing neuroplasticity um increasing gray matter and the number uh, and strength of neural connections in the brain but we're still pretty much at the beginning uh, the work is ramping up i um when i first started my research uh there it didn't take me that long to catch up on where science was with the study of music and singing and the effect on the brain and the body. Now it's like every day there's studies. It's it's so hard to keep up. In fact, yesterday there was um, the news was full of this um, study in Sweden that said that sing- people who sing together 
their heart rates sync up, which makes sense. I mean, when you're singing peace, you have to, you know, be rhythmically together. You have to breathe for the most part together. So it kind of makes sense that your hearts would tend to beat as one. There's also the the experience that singing can have an effect on pain. Yes, um, singing alleviates pain. I say this over and over, you know, singing amplifies everything good and alleviates and help alleviates everything bad and helps you heal, which I think explains why people sing after bad things. Like the, my book starts with a coal mining disaster. I, I when I started researching, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that coal miners sing, that this is a thing. But I, it didn't make sense to me. I mean, they work all day, you know, in caves in the darkness. They must be exhausted when they get out, plus all the coal dust. I mean, why are they singers? And then I came across this um, story of this terrible mining disaster. I forget the year, but it was in the begin, in the early 1900s. And... Within days of this disaster, where around 90 men died and others you know, lost limbs, they got together and they sang. And it kind of made sense to me. And I found this quote from this um, Welshman who became Secretary of Labor. He said, the ease for mental pain that other men have sought in alcohol, I have always found in song. And I just got it because the same is true today. Like people sang after 9-11, people sang after the recent bombings in Boston. I mean, I don't know if you saw that YouTube in Boston of those people singing um, our national anthem. I think it was a basketball game. Did you see Mm, that? No. Um, it, It was just a basketball game and they had, you know, a professional singer get up to sing the national anthem, which is what I guess they do at sports events. I'm not very sports-oriented, so I don't know. But he started singing, and the crowd started singing along, but they didn't just start singing along. They were singing with such gusto. It it made me cry to watch. It was also so endearing because you could hear their 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 Boston accents. And, and they weren't just singing, you know, so much out of national pride, which, you know, I'm sure they were feeling, but they were singing because it was like connecting them in a way that they could say to each other, we're, we're in this together, we're going to get through this. And it, and it did in a way that just saying those words wouldn't have communicated. What do we know about the history of this? Certainly we understand more today about what's going on with the brain. And as you, as you talked about, we're continuing to understand more all the time. But even before we understood any of this, there's a long history of of this joy that people get out of singing together. Talk about it from a historical perspective. Well, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if it felt good for me, you know, it must have felt good. It must have always felt good. And in one of my chapters, this is one piece of music that I just love. Um, there's a 16th century composer, Thomas Lewis uh, de Victoria, and there's this piece, this Agnes Dei too, that I, I just love. It, it's 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 magical, and when I sing it, I I, it, I just feel alive and, and in a way that I don't feel during the day normally. And I just got this idea because I had been researching all this science at the time. I thought, I wonder if there's any way that I can 
prove that the very first people who sang this piece in the 16th century, which turned out to be a bunch of German seminary students, if I could show that perhaps they felt the same thing singing this piece of music that I feel, and I used all the science that I found to demonstrate you know, how I believe physically and emotionally that they would. The only difference I have to concede is that they were you know, very serious, serious um, religious men. And when they were singing this piece, for them, you know, they were singing about the glories of God. And the, singing this piece would have infused them with that feeling and connected them to God. Whereas for me, I, I think I'm feeling the same thing, but I think I'm explaining it to myself in a different way. It connects me to you know, my fellow man, to, to the universe, but in a way it also connects me back to them. I feel like I've reached past time and I can understand how people in that century felt. What about people that are self-conscious about singing, about participating in these kinds of situations? Well, that would be me. <laughs> when I first, I, I got into a choir when I was in my 20s, and I was just in this very bad patch of life, and, and everything was just awful, and I was looking for a way to feel better. And I had, I, I had not sung in choirs when I was in high school or, or what we called junior high at the time. And uh, But I did have one experience singing with a choir with a boyfriend who who was a member of a choir, and I sang, joined him one Christmas and sang Christmas carols. And it was just so much fun. And I thought, well, I'll do that. Because I was looking for ways to get happy um, that were not tied to things that I didn't have any control over, like jobs and my love life. And also I wanted it to be somewhat lasting, like it was okay. It's one thing to find a way to be happy for an evening or a day, but I wanted something more enduring. So I joined this choir, but I don't have a great voice. And I found out you had to audition, which was a shock to me because I didn't have to audition when I sang with my boyfriend in high school. So I, I show up for my audition, but I was just beyond belief terrified. So I tried to talk my talk the guy out of auditioning to me. I just said to him, I said, please, please let me in the choir. I don't have a beautiful voice. I'm telling you the truth. I don't have a beautiful voice, but I can sing in tune, so I'll sing quietly. I won't mess up anybody around me. And he just kind of laughed, and he said, well, okay, but I, I still have to hear you. And I sang for him. It was awful. And he looked at me, and he said, okay, you're right. You don't have a beautiful voice, but you can sing in tune. Welcome to the choir. And you can always find a choir and a choir master like that. But I, I would like to talk about this reality series called The Choir. It's a British series. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But the conductor, Gareth Malone, it always starts the same way. He finds some incredibly unlikely group of people um, and turns them into a choir. And he has to talk them into auditioning, and they audition, and they always sound terrible. They don't sing in tune. They, they just barely croak out whatever he want, asks them to sing. But within a few episodes, those very same people who could not sing at all are singing just fine. They're like me. They don't have beautiful voices, but they're singing in tune. They're singing complicated pieces of music, and they're getting through it, and they're having a fantastic time. Have medical professionals taken this seriously? Has anybody gotten to the point where, you know, sing two songs and call me in the morning becomes a prescription? Oh, absolutely. Music therapy is a whole thing, and and, and it has been for a while. Um, you know, 
a lot of scientists, a lot of doctors are reading the same research I am, and yes, they are using it. Where is the cutting edge of this right now? What are we still trying to understand about the the benefits and impact of music? Well, Daniel Levitin, um, who's a Canadian scientist, um, he wrote a book, This Is Your Brain on Music. He just um, released um, a a meta-analysis of all the studies to date and kind of analyzed them and said where he thought um, we needed to go. And he, he, I mean, he's very excited about the research that uh, has been done so far, but he suggests ways to fine-tune the experiments, um, to, to tighten up the controls and the experiments. And for me, I, as I think I said before, um, I, I would like to see them focus on harmony, like perhaps do you know, some sort of simple study where they have... Um, people sing in unison and you know measure you know everything um, and do all their scans, and then have the same people sing in harmony and see what changes. One of the things that you talk about is that there's an impact with Alzheimer's patients that music is and, and song memory is the last thing to go sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's some beautiful descriptions of that in Oliver Sacks' book, mm-hmm. um, Musicophilia. But there's um, a YouTube video that I talk about that demonstrates this so dramatically. There's a man, I believe his name is Henry, and they show him he's in um, a facility and he sits alone in his chair and he doesn't talk to anyone. And if you try to talk to him, at best, you'll get a one-word response from him. And then they show uh, someone putting an iPod on his head and they play him music from his youth. And and soon he starts singing along and he becomes animated and alive. But the best part is when they take off the headphones and start talking to him, he goes from being someone who can only communicate in one-word responses to speaking in whole sentences and continuing a conversation. He's animated, alive, and, and connected with people in life again. I mean, there is no way you can get through watching that video without crying. Stacy Horn, the book is Imperfect Harmony, Finding Happiness Singing with Others. It's just out from Algonquin Press. Stacy, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had fun. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.